0: Beloved congregation of the Lord, turn with me once more to verse 13 as we consider once more the truths of this precious portion of God's word. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved congregation, this morning we considered uh, several things about this verse. We saw that it is setting forth before us the battle for our minds. God is contending for the minds of his people, and he would desire our minds to be submit- in submission to the gospel. We saw that in this battle there are great and fearful dangers. What is at stake is nothing less than the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ and whether we would sin against the Savior. What is at stake is the, the health and well-being of the Christian church against the onslaughts of the devil and as well as his attacks upon ourselves as members of that church. What is at stake is our effectiveness for the kingdom of God and our own happiness and joy in the Christian life. These things are all bound up with whether our minds are in submission to God's revealed truth. We saw further that as we unfolded the particulars of this exhortation in uh, in Peter's epistle, that there is a call to gird up the loins of our mind, to have a preparedness for the conflict in which we are engaged. There's a call to be sober, have a mind that is attuned to reality and apprehensive of that reality. And all this is subservient unto the main uh, exhortation in the verse, and that is, that we exercise hope, hope that um, is bound up with that true faith in Jesus Christ, whereby we expect his return, and expect him to return in great grace and glory in the deliverance of his people. Thus far, we've considered uh, the battle lines as they are. But in this afternoon service, I'd like to bring this home somewhat by considering a particular battle plan the Lord has given unto us this exhortation this is the desire of the Lord Jesus for his people and shall shall we hear these things and just simply say yes that must be done or must we not take it one step further how is it that these things are realized in the believer's life how is it that the Holy Spirit stirs us up to put this into practice well continuing under the the theme of the battle for your mind I'd like to look at three things about our battle plan first I'll speak about awareness second discipline and third discernment awareness discipline and discernment. And each one, I trust, you'll see flows out of this text. In the first place, I wish to speak of awareness. You recall that the, uh, the language here is used in a medical, metaphorical way from the way people wore their clothing in uh, biblical history with flowing garments that were comfortable and suitable to the temperature and climate of that time And yet we're not so suitable for uh, emergency situations, either where you had to fight an enemy or flee from an enemy. And as we find ourselves on a spiritual battlefield, we must also gird up the loins. We must also tie up those loose uh, flowing garments so that we are ready for action. But we saw that it's not clothing that is involved here, but rather the thoughts of the mind. The thoughts of the mind. And as we take that, uh, that reality in the verse before us, I'd like to suggest that it's impossible to put that into practice unless you have a degree of awareness. Awareness of the thoughts in your own mind. I was listening to a sermon, and uh, the preacher used this as an illustration when it comes to the thoughts that are going through your mind. Sometimes it's like you're in the car, and the radio has been flipped on, and it's just uh, broadcasting whatever random station it happens to be tuned to. And so there's garbage music playing, and there's obnoxious ads playing and all the time. You're sitting there listening, listening to uh, the terrible verbiage that's, uh, that's polluting your ears and, and soul. That can be, as this preacher illustrated, what it's like when the mind is just set in a drift. Where thoughts are allowed to come and go without any attention uh, given to them. The Reality is, some people do live in that way without any awareness of their own thoughts and the spiritual uh, realities that they unveil. I'd like to uh, take you to another text that uses very similar language to kind of illustrate what I mean. Will you turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5? 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And begin reading at verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Some language, language of being prepared for a battle and of being sober, which our text uses as well. But I want you to notice that Paul, in that text, he adds this added analogy of those who are asleep and those who are awake. And it's clear that that analogy, as well as the others that he's using, they're speaking about different spiritual states, different spiritual conditions that people are in. Maybe you've sometimes found this, you're you're at home with your family, and maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and, and you realize that you're the only one in your all, whole home that is awake, everyone else is unconscious, and you... Maybe take that for granted, that, that sleep is just part of life. It's part of, of the way things are, and indeed it is so. But, but it's a strange thing, isn't it? For half of your existence, there you are, and you're unaware of your surroundings. You're completely helpless. You're dormant. You're unconscious. And all you can do is sit there still and motionless. And there's something there that speaks of our frailty. there's also people who are spiritually asleep unaware of their surroundings unaware of the things of god and the things of eternity i remember there was a particular time in my teenage years where uh, extended period of time i was infatuated with a particular video game i don't want to say anything bad about video games in particular but at this point in my life it was a real snare to me. It was all I could think about. And so I would um, spend all my time with other uh, young people who also played this game. And I would think about it when I got up. And I would think about it when I went to sleep. And this went on for, for an extended period. And I remember at one point I, I stepped on a bus. And in, in that moment as I stepped in the bus and I looked at those, uh, all those people. And it just struck me that these are real people. It struck me that I am a real person, that I am alive, that, that I, I must die, and that there is an eternity. And all the truths I'd encountered in the context of the church, they sort of arrested me. And in that moment, I realized that I was living in the moment. I was aware that I had been asleep, asleep. And I think that sometimes we can uh, have that awareness, but sometimes we lack it. Sometimes, whether because of spiritual lifelessness in a total sense, or perhaps we could say even in, in a period of backsliding, the the sinner can find themselves not occupied with the things that truly bring us unto an awareness of reality as it is. And when we encounter that and we we see the difference in ourselves, what it is to be alive, truly, what it is to be awake, truly. And we see that's only through the Lord Christ. That Lord Christ, who we read, ha- um, is the very source of our salvation. Verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Even thinking about that, that there are those appointed to wrath, that there are those who will perish everlastingly. And what it means to really be a Christian and to be aware that you are a Christian, to think as a Christian is to feel the weight of that, to feel something of the glory of that. Just to be a Christian, someone who has been redeemed from wrath through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I put to you, it is one thing to be a Christian. It is another thing to be a consistent Christian. It's one thing to be a Christian, and it's another thing to think consistently more and more about what that is to be a Christian. I'm reminded of what the apostle writes in Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things. Which are above, where Christ sitteth, that sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. It's fascinating what's going on there. The apostle is beginning a series of exhortations there. Yes, unto holiness. Yes, unto obedience. But he doesn't just begin saying, you better shape up. You better get with the program. No, he's saying, remember who you are, Christian. Remember, you are dead with Christ. Your your guilt has been done away with through his wounds and through his sacrifice. Remember his resurrection. You are risen with Christ. If you are risen with Christ, how can you seek those things which are of this world, which will perish and fade away? No, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of our God. This Christ who is returning. This Christ with whom we are hidden. Everything of our life is found in Christ. That's what it means to think as a Christian. To be aware of this. To make this the focal point of our whole existence and our whole life. And I put to you, it will be a very strange thing. A very strange thing to have all these amazing truths to be actually true about you and not to think about them. It's fascinating if you go back to our our text and you look at what it says there in verse 13. It says... um, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ and where you look at the greek of to the end it just doesn't mean to the conclusion to the termination to the, the final chapter no the word end is actually the word telos the word it's derived from and and telos has a much fuller meaning not only the conclusion but also the purpose Also, the goal, the hope and the faith of the Christian governs the thoughts because it comes to see that everything in our life is pointing to this. Our existence is for Christ, this one who will take uh, take us unto himself, this one who has revealed his grace unto us and will manifest that grace in perfection upon his return. Later on, in the same uh, chap, it's the same epistle. You have a very similar language in chapter four and verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. The telos, the goal, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. This that I would put to you, congregation: this battle for our minds it must involve awareness. You must catalog your thoughts. You must take an inventory. What is it that is going through your mind? What is it, as one man said, that you think about when you're not thinking about anything at all? What is it that you meditate upon? What is it that you mull over, you know, congregation? It can be a scary thing to be alone with your thoughts. We live in times where people don't want to be alone. They always want noise. They always want some some distraction. They want to fill their minds with this or that amusement or this or that entertainment. But to really be aware of your own thinking, to subject that to the Scripture and unto the faith of the Gospel, that is a very different thing. Though it can be convicting, though it can be scary, the realities of the Gospel because they bring such honesty and clarity and light to our awareness of our own selves, they they ultimately mean for our good. Do not push this aside. No. Welcome the opportunity. Welcome the challenge. Welcome this invitation from the the Lord Christ himself. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. So I'd note that there's awareness here. I'd also like to speak of discipline. Discipline. This life of the Christian, it doesn't just involve awareness, but also the discipline. It's implicit, of course, in the battle stand or the preparedness stand that we must take, the, the war footing of the mind that the Christian is called to here. It's also implicit in the call to be sober. There's, a, there's always that denial and that rejection of that which will intoxicate, that which will inflame, that which will dis- distort our, our true picture of reality. Anything at all that would be opposed to a mind that is fixed upon eternal and spiritual things, it is, it is out of bounds here. Your life is not your own, nor is your mind, nor are your thoughts. They belong, all of them, unto Christ. So, what do we say about discipline? What is it that uh, would be opposed to discipline? Well, I would point you to a, a verse in the Proverbs that is very interesting. You can turn with me there if you'd like in Proverbs 25. Proverbs twenty-five and verse twenty-eight. And like all the Proverbs, there's a depth to every single line. And so I'll I'll read it for you and let it sink in. This is what it says: He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Well, the picture there is of those days in which the fortifications of a city meant everything, your city was liable to be uh, invaded by marauders by by bandits or or by enemy forces, and to have walls to have protection meant security it meant peace it meant happiness for those who would live in the city. But what of a city that is broken down and Without walls, without the internal defenses, well, it's liable to be invaded and ravaged by every form of danger. And so there's the the illustration, but what is the point? It says, he that hath no rule, no control, no authority over his own spirit, over his own inner man, over his own mind, this one is like that, that wall, that city without defenses. You see, congregation, if you would read in Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit, is called in our Bible temperance, but other translations, I think accurately call that self-control. Self-control. Yes, it's not a control of self apart from God's Spirit, But the true grace of God in the soul will manifest itself in this. You are more and more in control of that which is going on in your own mind. And I think in particular, this would have relevance to emotions. Emotions which can cloud the understanding, cloud the mind, and lead us away from the truth that God would have us to hold fast to. I think earlier on in the Proverbs, you have a very similar line spoken in Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. To be a mighty ruler uh, is to be compared to be one who is slow to anger, not consumed and controlled by his passion. But no, he subjects his emotions, subjects his passions unto his mind, which is also in submission to the word and truth of God. And of course, this is also a New Testament truth. You see it in James chapter one and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, we need to be about the righteousness of God. We need to desire a true godly life that brings glory unto Christ. It is our grateful. Service unto the one who has saved us, that we should serve and glorify the God of our salvation. But one of the impediments of that, it says, is to lack self control. Where it says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, it means we ought to be much more careful with what comes out of our mouth and much more attentive to what other people. Would say unto us. This is not a mark of weakness. It's not a mark of passivity. No there's a wisdom there. A wisdom that we weigh our words. And we don't just blurt out what comes into our mind. In a passion of anger or rage. That is not the way of the Lord. Yes indeed there is a righteous anger. But not an anger that is not tempered and controlled by a mind in subjection unto Christ. If your anger, when it is called for, will be a righteous anger used to bring about justice for the marginalized or to stand for the truth, if that is to be godly, it must be controlled. You don't want to be that that city that is without defenses. You don't want to give an entry point to the devil. No, you need to seek the Lord's grace in this. It is not a matter indifferent. No, you must exercise this self-control. It's nothing less than what is commanded in our text, where it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. What could be more devastating in the heat of a battle than all these loose thoughts, all of these random thoughts that are utterly distracting to the purpose of your calling? Things that come from pride, things that come from bitterness, things that come from resentment. Isn't it the case that all that is washed away when we hope unto the end, the end of that revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? What really will our egos matter? What really will our preoccupations matter when we consider the light of that eternity that? Yet is before us. When Jesus Christ returns and we all stand before Him, I would have enough to answer for myself than to be occupied with how other people will stand before Him. Now let us see to this, let us have our minds disciplined by the truths of the gospel to get a hold of ourselves. Yes, it is. you can say it is impossible if you struggle with this. If you feel that at certain points the emotions rise up and you're unable to think clearly and distinctly the thoughts of Jesus Christ, it is not too hard for him. Yes, in your own strength it is impossible, but those things which are impossible with man are possible with God, for all things are possible with God. The same power of the Holy Spirit which allows you to surrender other sins unto his care, to repent of other acts of ungodliness, also in the emotional realm, also in the inner life of the mind. The Holy Spirit is not powerless there, no. It is there where his Holy Spirit is even more present and prominent. I love. Uh, How the uh, apostle speaks about this in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see how the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit are all over the scriptures on this matter. These all go together, both the awareness of the mind and the discipline of the mind. In the third and last place congregation, I'd like to speak about discernment. Speak about discernment. Well, you'll remember... I began in the morning by speaking of the various perils and threats that would come both to the Christian and to the church if we would neglect this call to gird up the loins of our mind. I spoke also about the opportunities and the effectiveness and the joys that can come from heeding this call and i put to you that if we would leave it at awareness and discipline we would fall short of how it is that this battle is realized in these different battle fronts no discernment discernment what is discernment well it's really taking the application of a mind in subjection unto the gospel of jesus christ and putting that mind into action in matters of practical life and godliness discernment in the book of hebrews which is a significant enough text i'll ask you to turn there with me as well hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 you have which in first glance is one of the rather stinging rebukes of the apostle to the jewish church there um, that he's addressing but i think there's also much we can learn from him in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when the time we ought, for, uh, sorry, let me back up. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of meat and not of strong, sorry, have need of milk. And not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskilful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, I think that's a very good explanation of discernment. Having your senses or your mind exercised to discern, to understand what is good or evil. Applying the mind unto the different problems of life according to the word and truth of God. You notice the apostle here is citing this in the context of a rebuke, as I say. He is saying that at the time where these Christians ought to have been teachers, they ought to have had a certain level of discernment such that they could teach others, they are in need of the simple teaching, which he calls milk. Milk. So the analogy here is that you've got babies and children, Maybe you've seen a baby in this church recently. If I were to take a great big steak and I were to tend that steak to one of those babies, do you think they would get much benefit from that great big steak if they're just a couple weeks old? Hmm. I don't think so. I think if you've seen a baby that, that is that young, probably they just can have milk. They can't have a great big steak. They can't eat meat like that. But I'll tell you something. If I were to hand you a yummy steak, I bet you that you could cut up that steak and mm, great big juicy bites. You'd get a lot of yummy uh, meat in your tummy, I bet. So, But if you were to just have milk all the time, I bet you you wouldn't be very strong, would you? No, you've gotten to the point where you need more than just milk. You need steak, you need vegetables, you need a balanced diet. And well, the illustration here from children growing up also applies to Christians growing up spiritually. Yes, there is a time where the new Christian can only digest milk. The simple teachings of the scriptures, the elementary notes of the Bible, those things which are just the building blocks of of true faith whereby you grasp hold of Christ and say, This is what I need. I need the Savior. Yes, that's you never leave that place, but you do grow upon it. You build upon the foundation. The Lord would have you get beyond the milk and to consume the meat. The Lord would have you discern. What it is that is good and evil. The Lord would have you grow in righteousness and holiness. But you notice it doesn't happen automatically. It's saying very clearly uh, that this is uh, by reason of use. Verse 14. The application of the truth of God to your life. The taking of what God says and putting it into practice of Feasting your mind upon the truths of God until you grow and you grow in your understanding. And congregation, if all we have is a church of babies, if all we have are those who have the elementary notes of the gospel but they lack this, then the church is under threat. If the Christian remains in a state of babyish, relying upon the milk, then there can be little maturity. There can be little growth spiritually. There can be little joy in the Christian life. The desire rather should be to grow in discernment. And to zero in on that point, it's through the use of use, it's through the reason of use, rather, through the application of the truth of God to our lives. I would point you to another text, which I will read for you now in Philippians chapter 4. And verse 8: Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. It's ultimately this which is not a suggestion but a command. For you and me, we must ask ourselves, what is it we are setting our mind upon? What is it that we fill our minds with? Is it the things that the apostle speaks of there? What is honest, just, good, lovely? Those things of the holy scriptures, of the person and work of Christ. This one who has revealed himself in the scriptures, who speaks to you in the scriptures, Christian. This one who is the light of the world. Who shines into our darkness and brings the true wisdom from above into our hearts. Whereby we would not, not be forever children dependent upon milk. But no, we would grow into that maturity and discernment which he has in store for us. Let me ask you some very simple questions as we close here. The scriptures, the scriptures, are they an open book? In your life. It doesn't matter what Bible plan you have in particular. It doesn't matter if, if you read many verses or few verses in one sense. But to be in the word every day. Every day. And not only saying yes, there is truth there. But taking the words and applying it to yourself. I'll put this as well. Meditation upon the word. Meditation, I do not mean some mystical, uh, uh, superstitious practice, but I mean setting your mind upon these things. Setting your mind upon the things of Christ. Exercising your mind throughout the day. And as you lie down at night and as you rise in the morning, determinately setting your mind upon these things revealed in the Holy Scripture of Christ and of his salvation Of his royal law of love and holiness. And of what this means for you. What Christ would call you unto today. How you must therefore live. You meditate upon the truth. How it relates to you. You give your best meditation to him. And, of course, where you have the word of God speaking unto you. And if you would have that uh, be blessed unto your soul, how can you not speak unto the Lord in regular prayer? Congregation, if we are not praying, then we are playing. We are playing with the Christian life. We are saying we are content to be babies forever. If we will not use the prayers that the Lord would, uh, would require of us those prayers whereby we pour forth our souls unto the Lord. We speak what is on our hearts. We speak our hearts yawning yearnings. That in this way we cannot bring down the true blessings from above that the Lord would have for us. I would desire, of course, that if you have the opportunity you would come to the prayer meeting. But the reality is that there are many opportunities to pray individually with others, in your family, with other friends. You must pray. How you do it, where you do it, I leave it to you in the Lord. But if you are content to live without prayer, then I, then I do not how, how, know how you can call yourself a Christian. No. The true breath of the Christian, the true air that we breathe, the true life that sustains us is the prayer that goes along with the reading and the meditation. And together with that, I would, I would put to you that we live in days that are so blessed with the riches of sound books on the scriptures. Go to the library. Find one of those books that has a sound Christian author that will unfold something of the scriptures. And make it a point. Read something from that book that will help you understand the Bible better. Or, if you like, call up uh, Reform Heritage Books and go through their catalog. See how it is that there are so many resources there that can help you read more deeply. Go on the internet and find teaching resources from ministries that are reliable, things that you can fill your mind with. Go to sermon audio and, and use your time to grow spiritually in these things. And as you have opportunity, speak about what you learn with others. Talk about the scriptures. Talk about what you were reading today in the Bible and, and ask people, what do you think about this? I think that this would, would apply to my life in this way, or this would apply to the church in this way. I desire, congregation, with all my heart, that this would be what we would be taken up with, with the things of the scripture, with the true discernment whereby we apply the scripture to our lives. Well, congregation, we've spoken not only of the battle for our minds, but also something of a battle plan. My prayer is that as you've heard these things, you've been able to see that this is not a cause for despair. Yes, that though the battle rages, the Lord would not exhort us in this way if there was no cause for hope. If you are not in the fight today, then the Lord Jesus would have you in his army. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies, and the battle belongs to the Lord. He will not turn you away. If you've been fighting even on the other side and in the domain of darkness, then I tell you today, the Lord Jesus will receive you as one of his own. There's no greater thrill than to live for the Lord Jesus in this day. To truly feel the thrill of the battle and the joy of the battle. That is a great and a glorious thing. Only to be surpassed by that imperishable crown of glory that awaits us upon his return. Amen.